Morning, everyone. That was really helpful, what Jenny said. That's so true. Uh, Dan Toom is going to be here. Um, sorry, I haven't met you all, probably. My name's Gavin, and I'm the <laughs> minister over at Gregory Hills Anglican, uh, over the road. Uh, Dan's going to be here next week preaching, and in Dan's words, James is like a big punch in the face, um, in the words of Dan. And it's so true. It's very... Um, it's confronting, James, uh, in a good way, but in a hard way. At the end of the year, I respect uh, many of you are tired. I'm one of, one of you. I'm very tired. And Carol's last night and all that. And this is a hard word. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a hard word this morning um, from James. Um, I'm trying to keep... I, I've kept it short this morning because we're a bit tired. Uh, it's a bit warm. There's also um, some craft to do on the inside. <laughs> So uh, make sure you get a handout and make sure you've got a pen. And you'll see some bizarre circles down the bottom there in the application section. And we're actually going to kind of work through those as we go. And I'd love for you to make your own notes as they apply to you, which won't make sense until we get there. But I'd love for you to make your own notes as they apply to you inside the circles and outside the circles. Because uh, that, will, that will, I mean, it's up to you, but that will be most beneficial to you as you listen to this sermon. If you've got a pen and if you've got this open and you kind of think about how this how this impacts you personally. Uh, of course, it'll be different for uh, us all and for us as a group. I'm going to pray that God will give us mental energy to hear his word and be in a heart to want to put it into practice as well. So please join me. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of James. Uh, Father, it's hard. We're tired. We ask for uh, emotional and mental energy uh, to listen well and to be able to take it on board. Uh, we pray for your heart within us, uh, transformed by the Holy Spirit, that's uh, really receptive and willing to change and in light of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Kidspot was fantastic today. I was kind of thinking I could just walk out now and go back home because <laughs> it was so good and it got the point across so well. It was really, I thought it was really helpful. Uh, the Kidspot, favoritism, right? Uh, in essence, favoritism is the judgment of a person based on external appearances only and external factors rather than the treatment of the person um, based on the kind of the, the internal, what's going on. So it's treat, treatment of a person based on external factors and how they look and stuff. How a person looks, how they smell, what they're wearing, what, uh, what jewellery they're wearing, how much money they've got, what car they drive, how popular they are, uh, their status in society. Uh, in essence, what we're doing in our hearts when we show favouritism is, is summing up how can this person serve me? And if they can serve me, well, then I'll hang with them. And if they don't really serve me much at all, I won't hang with them. I'll avoid them. And that's what happened with the ladies on the stage, right? She met someone who was like her and she liked her pencils and they dressed the same. So she served her really well. So they were friends. Other girls, shy, bit of hard work, didn't serve me very much at all. I'm going to stay away from her. So it's how do they serve me? I'm going to kind of hang with them. Um, I wonder if there was favouritism in your family growing up. If you felt like one of your siblings was the favourite and you weren't, which is terribly painful uh, and damaging. I wonder if you had the very awkward situation growing up of being the favourite, feeling like you were the favourite and you didn't really want to be the favourite because you felt bad for your siblings and that awkward dynamic. Also hard and also painful. Um, Favouritism is sadly alive and well in our world and sadly alive and well uh, in our church. 
I was a student minister at Summerhill Anglican for two years, uh, some time ago, and in that church was a historian who'd done some history uh, on the church of Summerhill, and he explained, and that there was two, there's two doors to get into Summerhill, there's a big kind of double open front doors at the front, and there's this little side door as well, and I thought that was kind of odd. And uh, he was explaining to me that the front double doors were for the wealthy, and then the little side door was for the poor people to come in back in the day. And the wealthy people would come in and they would sit at the front and they would have allocated pews based on their wealth and status in society. And there was actually a dispute over a pew seating when one man was promoted in his job that went right to the archbishop to settle. And the poor people would come in the side and if there were seats left, they could sit at the back and if there wasn't, I don't know, I guess they stood uh, or sat on the floor. This isn't that long ago in the church. And you're right to be abhorred at that and find that absolutely disgraceful because it is. And so today I want, James wants to test your heart and my heart and he wants to test our church's heart to make sure it's not happening here and not happening here and in your heart. James's appeal in the very first verse of chapter 2, look with me in your Bibles, is really clear. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, another translation could be believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You must not show favoritism under any circumstances. No favoritism. And he makes a point that word glorious is really important and it's put there by James very intentionally. The one through whom the universe was created, the one through whom the universe is sustained, the one who took upon himself the sins of many and rose again in glorious victory, the one who is now seated at the Father's side in glory and will come again to judge the living and the dead, my brothers and sisters never showed favoritism and you deny who he is if you show favoritism in his glory. We must never show favoritism. To do so is to deny, to shame, to diminish, to reject our Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory, who is completely impartial, who never shows favoritism. The Bible speaks time and again of God's impartiality. Nowhere in the Old Testament more clearly than in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. God looks and sees all as they are inside, pays no attention to the external as he looks upon his people. Ephesians 6 Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they slave or free. No partiality, slave or free, the same. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, there's no favoritism with him. There's no favoritism with him, there should be no favoritism with us. We're called to be the same as our Lord Jesus and as our Lord God in heaven. Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 1, Malachi 2, 1 Peter 1, 16 to 17, all bang the same drum. 
Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. If we favour one person over another, if we welcome one person at church over against another, you can't welcome everybody at exactly the same time. It's impossible. But if we welcome one because we welcome one over against another, I'm willing to welcome this one. I'm not willing to welcome that one. I'm willing to sit with this person. I am not willing to sit with this person over here. Then we've showed favoritism, and it's godless. In your heart of hearts, are there people at church who are willing to invite to your house for a coffee for a meal, but there's people in this church you're not willing to invite for a coffee, not willing to invite for a beer, not willing to invite for lunch. You'd rather they didn't come. To do so is to step out from under the fear of the Lord, set ourselves up as Lord and judge over others and show partiality which is a very dangerous place to be in a world ruled by an impartial judge who judges us as well impartially. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care how much money you've got. He doesn't care that you are a minister of a church. He will judge all with perfect impartiality. And if you wish to set yourself up as God in opposition rather than submission... You'll be judged as well. Hence this example given by James in verses 2 to 3, which seems unlikely in our context, I think. But if we flesh it out a bit, we'll find that it's all too common. The rich man comes into church and we say, sit here next to me, here's a seat, I'll dust it off for you, sit next to me. The poor man comes in and we say to him or her, poor person, sit at my feet. Now who in the room is going to do that? Nobody. He's going to actually do that. To do that is to discriminate, become judges over and against people. But let's see if we can apply it in our own hearts using our little drawing. So grab your handouts and your drawing. Of course, by nature, by nature, we all do this. We all say to the person, sit next to me, and the other person, go sit over there on the floor. We're just more subtle and classy about it than the person in James chapter 2. But nonetheless, we do show favouritism, partiality towards loving and caring for some people in the room, but not others. We tend to gravitate to people who are like us and people we like. People like me and people I like are the people that I can get something from and the people I'll tend to gravitate to and the people I want to love and show mercy to. Perhaps they might be people my age, people with my interests, people who make me laugh, people who listen when I talk, people who like to talk because I like to listen, people in my life stage, married if I'm married, single if I'm single. What's it like for those who were married and are now recently single if we act like that? This whole friendship group they had of married people is now gone if we show favouritism, which is terribly painful. People would roughly my wealth, but not too wealthy. I think if people came in here who were very wealthy, multi-millionaires from the North Shore, we'd, would we show partiality against them? Because we're, most of us are not multi-millionaires, as far as I know. 
If you are, come and talk to me. <laughs> we'll think about how we can invest your money well into the parish. <laughs> um, if they're really, really rich, we might push them aside. If they're really, really poor, we might push them aside. Um, people with my intellect, not too intelligent, lest I feel like a bit of an idiot when I talk to them, but not too unintelligent, lest I feel bored when I talk to them. And it's at this point that people with intellectual disabilities often get marginalised, because it's just, it's just too hard. It can be too much effort. I want to hang around with people my race so that I can relate easily. People my sexuality if I'm opposite sex attracted. People my sexuality if I'm same sex attracted. I don't want to feel awkward if I'm opposite sex attracted and they're same sex attracted. I don't want to feel judged if I'm same sex attracted and they're opposite sex attracted. Basically, people who take a bit of my effort to be around I'm going to exclude, I'm going to avoid in my neighbourhood, in my workplace, even in my church. Put another way, if I want to be in their space and they're different from me, I'm going to have to love them and I don't want to do that. Because love in essence is other person-centred, it serves rather than self-serves. The fun thing about friendship is it's mutual and reciprocal, it serves you too, but real love is selfless. Now you've noticed the outside circle, haven't you? Who's people in the outside circle for you? Write them down on the page. Who's the people you tend to avoid, perhaps if they came into church? What if there's a major language barrier and it's really hard and slow to talk to this person because they speak a different language from you? They don't speak the wrong language. You speak the wrong language for them and they speak the wrong language for you. So you've got to work at it. People who are much older, much younger. If there's a major intellectual barrier, such as an unskilled worker and someone with a PhD, I'm proud to say we've got both those people at Gregory Hills Anglican. We've got PhDs and unskilled workers. What if there's significant different interests? One loves rugby league and all things sport, and the other loves art and classical music. Well, the sporties will hang over there, and the, is it like a high school schoolyard again if we're not careful? What if a hardened criminal comes into church who's done time, got the prison tats to show it? Often they don't feel welcome in church, probably because they're not often welcome in church. What about those who are prostitutes, those who are majorly sexually moral, sleeping around and the like? Would we welcome them if they came into our midst? Or would we show favouritism? It's challenging, right? It's heavy. Straight after carols, it's approaching 30 degrees. What's going on in your heart? That's for you to work out between God and your little piece of paper. Well, what about our church? What about Harrington Park Anglican Church? Well, if we're not careful, we form groups within the group. Those groups increase in size and whoever's on the margins, will they get left out. At church, we tend to want to hang around and welcome people we like and people like us, whoever we are as a group. So there's groups here, there's groups within the group and 
Those who fit those groups will be welcome and those outside those groups will show favouritism and will show partiality. I wonder who's at the heart of the biggest group at Harrington Park Anglican. I wonder who you'd say. This is a, reciproc- this is a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer. Who's the biggest group uh, at Harrington Park Anglican? And if someone who fits that group walks in, well, they'll fit in nicely. But if they don't fit that group, they won't. Um, it's these guys, right? Here they are. The Joneses. They fit in perfectly. Anglos. Got two kids. Married. They've got an SUV. Three kids. Three kids. <laughs> Wow. Day after carols. <laughs> now, the boy, he's even got the button-up plaid shirt. He's a bit hipster in the making. These guys, they'll fit in easily if they walk into our midst. Not a problem. We'll welcome them, no partiality whatsoever. What about a family from another culture? Would they find it harder? I hope not. What about someone who's homeless? Hasn't showered in quite a while, got no money, got nothing to offer us. He just needs love and care and mercy. What about if a group of Asian uni students came into your midst? (laughs) Would they be welcome? They're not all Asian in the photo, but most of them are. It's been such a blessing working with them, and I've been talking to them about what a cross-cultural experience it is to do ministry in southwest Sydney when you're young and you've got an Asian background. Many of them weren't born here. They were born overseas. Are they welcome in our church? Of course they are. I've had a fantastic week uh, with these guys. I'm overwhelmed every year by the kindness and the servant-heartedness and the mission-mindedness that comes from the Christian Uni Group at Sydney Uni Cumberland Campus. And for those who've billeted them and had them in your home, I know you've been richly blessed uh, as an extra. We can be in danger, friends, of showing favouritism as a group and even as groups within the group. So as individuals we can show favouritism, but then as a group as well we can show favouritism to people who aren't like us as a group, who don't quite fit in. And you see on the outside circle in particular. So make some notes. Who do you think? Who do you think? Our church, church would particularly be partial towards and who would be on the outside of the circle if they walked in? Ideally, no one, but we, we know that's not the reality. We're sinful and we need, by God's grace, to work against that. For to show favouritism is to, firstly, to, it's a, to oppose God's character. It's ungodlike. Secondly, we make ourselves self-appointed judges. We make ourselves little gods when we show favouritism. And thirdly, it goes against God's plan to welcome people from all nations into his church, right? So it goes against his very plan for humanity to show favourites. And this brings us to our second point. Um, Sorry, we'll get to that. In verses 5 to 7, James explains to his first century hearers, it's the poor that God has blessed, first and foremost, materially poor, those perceived as poor by the world. It's foolish then to marginalise the poor. He writes, verse 5, look at your Bible. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? 
Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? There's a reality that it's the rich exploiting the poor. It's the poor who are more receptive to the gospel. And yet these people seem to be favouring the rich over the poor, which is foolish. And there's a reality about who it is that God has chosen to make up the bulk of his kingdom. And I think it's worth being aware of. So now we get to box three on your outlines. Look at your outlines. Grab your pen. When God looks at people, he's not interested in the external. He doesn't care how old you are, what colour your skin is, where you were born, how smart you are, how rich you are, what car you drive. He sees a sinner in need of forgiveness through Jesus. That's what he sees. As some of you know, I befriended a Christian professional rugby league player at the start of the year because of our Jesus Is campaign. Long story, not worth telling. His name's Josh. Um, he's a godly Christian man. He loves to evangelise his mates on the training paddock. So he says to his mates, NRL players, when you die and go to heaven, do you think God will care how many games you played in the NRL? Probably not. He won't care what you've done, where you've come from, what you look like. God judges with absolute impartiality. He doesn't care about the externals. That should be a comfort to you if you feel weak or lesser than others. God doesn't judge you based on your abilities. He doesn't see you in that way. You're precious to him as you are. And he's willing to forgive you if you're willing to repent and put your trust in Jesus. The reality is that God favours the poor, the weak, the marginalised, the alien. In the Old Testament, it was the weak nation of Israel. Time and again, it was the ordinary man who were weak that he chose to lead his people. Abraham was old. Jacob was conniving. Joseph was young, bullied by his brothers. David was small, ruddy, handsome. In the New Testament, it was fishermen, tradies, just basic guys, Jews, living on the margins of Roman society. In India and China today, it's the impoverished. There's a wonderful truth in India that the class system, the caste system, with 11 levels of society that you can't break out of, you're born into it, you're stuck, breaking down in the church. All are one in Christ. The untouchables are touchable. It's a beautiful thing. And the reality is it's the poor who are at the centre of God's plan of redemption. And we're actually on the edge, in a manner of speaking. We're actually the minority in God's kingdom, if we're wealthy, which the vast majority of us in the room are very, very wealthy. If you've got two cars in the driveway, you just hit the top 1% of wealthy people in the world. It's the poor who are looking for relationship, for care, for a chance to show care. It's the rich who want to exploit, trample on, and make a name for themselves. Can you see, says James, that when you favour the rich over the poor, you favour those who exploit you over those for whom God has shown his favour, first and foremost? Who was it that Jesus chose to dine with most frequently? Was it not the tax collector, the prostitutes, those despised and on the margins of society. I think it's humbling to me, who is very wealthy in context of the world, to 
to recognise the vast majority of God's kingdom will consist of those to whom the world considers to be poor. It's humbling. I think I'm extra blessed to be part of God's kingdom, given my wealth, which is such a huge stumbling block to coming into God's kingdom. And that much is clear in Jesus' teaching. However, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the poor have become rich beyond their wildest dreams, right? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became, he became poor, so that through his poverty might become, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So who are those who are actually poorest in the world? It's those without Jesus, right? It's a vast majority of people in Harrington Grove in the huge houses. Harrington Park in the huge houses. Gregory Hills in the huge houses. They're all huge houses. <laughs> it's those without Jesus. Those who are rich in the eyes of the world are poorest because they find it so hard to let go of their wealth and put their trust in Jesus. Do you see? The richest in the world's eyes are the poorest in reality. For their wealth is their great stumbling block. So, third and final point, and I'll wrap it up. Verse 8. James says, If you really keep the royal law found in the Old Testament, and on the lips of Jesus as well, love your neighbour as yourself. You will not be quick to sit in judgment of others and choose your favourites. If you keep that royal law to love your neighbour as yourself, you will not show partiality to others. There will be no favouritism over others. Speak and act, James says, as those who are to be judged themselves. We are all sitting under God's judgement. Remember that when you consider judging another person. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. It means you're slow to cast judgment, quick to show mercy to people, quick to show love to people, the same love that you've been shown, the same mercy that you've been shown from God. Treat others impartially just as God treated you impartially. Now, we automatically make judgments about one another. It's okay. There is a sense in which we do rightly judge others. It's good and right. Is that person safe for my children to be near in the street, coming the other way? No, I'm going to cross the road, okay? Is that person in need? That's a judgment. I can help them. I've judged them to be in need. Is that person sad? By my judgment, they look sad. Can I comfort them? There's right judgments and good judgments that we make about people all the time. Mostly those good judgments are made given as much information as we can get about the person, right? Does that make sense? The more information we've got about the person, the better, the wiser, the more accurate a judgment we can make about that person. We must be, so we must be slow to stand in judgment over another, quick to be merciful, remembering that Jesus is judge and he stands in judge over us.
There's one area that I want to gently ask you to consider in our church, in the way we might be showing favouritism that can be damaging. And that's in the way we comfort others who are going through significant struggles in their life, and in particular relationship breakdowns. Comforting those for who's, who are having major trouble in their marriages, major trouble in their relationships. Comforting those for whom their marriage has broken down or is breaking down. Let's consider that. First and foremost to say is if you find yourself in a situation where you have the opportunity to comfort someone whose relationship is struggling, maybe breaking down or maybe that has broken down, they're divorced already. Can I say, comfort them. Make time. Spend time and energy comforting them, loving them, caring for them. I can imagine the grief and the pain of a marriage breakdown and a divorce. Many in our church are going through extremely tough times in their relationships and we must comfort them. So I want to urge you all, first and foremost, to comfort those in their grief whose relationships have broken down or are breaking down. But I want to add this, that as the comforter, we must be slow to judge in every situation, including this one. Be quick to be merciful, quick to comfort and care, but be slow to judge. In particular, if you're only relating to the person, one of the people in the relationship, you've only got that one side of the story, God would have you be very slow to judge the person on the other side of the story. I'll go so far as to say it's close to impossible to accurately cast judgment on the other person in the relationship if you've not heard their side of the story at all. There is a place for judgment, as I said. But as those under the judgment of God in Jesus, we must be slow to cast judgment over another human being and certainly in this situation as we comfort those in their grief. And I hasten to add, we do no service to the one in grief before us by condemning their partner, condemning their spouse, condemning their ex-spouse. Rather, we hinder the one before us from coming to a place of healing where they're ready to forgive the one who's wronged them and forgive the one who's hurt them, not necessarily reconcile with them. Divorce can be good and right under certain circumstances. Not necessarily reconciliation with that person, but as Christian people, we must come to a place, and it can be on the other side of grief, where we're ready and willing to offer forgiveness no matter what the hurt has been, knowing that our crimes against God are far greater and yet he has shown us mercy through Christ. We need to help that people, help that person, comfort that person to a place where as a Christian person they're able to forgive. They might not have the opportunity to forgive, but a Christian person needs to come to a place where they're able to forgive and we hinder that process if we stand in judgment over their partner, 
and condemn them. Please talk to me if you want uh, to talk more about that at Morning Tea or Jono or Ben. As Christians, we're called to love others no matter what. We're called to do our best to love them, whoever they are, wherever they're at. In God's eyes, there are two categories of people in the world, those with Jesus and those without him. Those without Jesus are to be pitied most of all. I said to the NTE mission team as I was door knocking and some people were hostile, one particularly hostile, I said, pray for that person more than the rest. They're rejecting Jesus vehemently. They need your prayer. Those without Jesus are to be pitied most of all. They may be hostile to us, abusive to us, oppositional and rude to us. They're to be pitied most of all and prayed for most diligently. And as for those with Jesus, no matter what the world thinks of them, we're to embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ and love them. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, we embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ without partiality. Now, can I say, as I look around the room, I'm heartened to see a mix of ages, a mix of races, a mix of interests, a great mix of people, which is how it should be in church. It's testament to the fact that you aren't showing favouritism, at least not a lot, but are welcoming different kinds of people in. The church that shows favouritism will end up with one big group of people just like each other, rather than this mix of people that we see before us here at Harrington Park Anglican. Are we, are you, committed to loving every single other person in this room as a brother or as a sister? Or do you play favourites? Do you gravitate to those who are like you and those who can serve you? How are you going to apply God's word to you today in your life and as you meet in your church? Who's at your workplace, your street, your family, in your church? Are there people you tend to avoid? Repent, ask for forgiveness, walk up to them and get to know them. Treat them as God has treated you. Treat them as God would have you treat them. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the word of James, which is hard and it's heavy and it's direct. And Lord, we know you give us a hard and heavy and direct word because you love us and you want what's best for us. And what's best for our church is that we show no favoritism as you show no favoritism. So Lord... Chip off the parts of us that are partial and, Lord, leave only what is impartial. Help us to see others through your eyes. Help us to love others and welcome others no matter what. May we not play favourites, it's godless. May we be welcoming, loving, merciful, slow to cast judgement. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.